Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And this week, we have a very special guest, someone who we actually teased during Quizage last week, whose work is instantly recognizable and who was present at the very beginning of the Harry Potter phenomenon. We are thrilled to speak to author, artist, and illustrator, Mr. Thomas Taylor. He is the illustrator of the very first Harry Potter book in the UK, and it went on to uh, be the cover in many countries around the world. Welcome, Thomas, to MuggleCast. Hi. Hi. Thank you for inviting me on. Absolutely. You have a five-star Zoom background, by the way. Like, all the books, <laughs> perfectly organized, colorful. Oh, thank is you. Is a lot well, of that your own a- work? Yeah, a lot of it. I do a lot of Zoom calls into into schools with my own with my own fiction series. So I have a lot of sort of nautical things behind me. Often more than this, even I toned it down <laughs> a bit. For them. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ah, that's too many krakens in the bag. I got to take them off the shelf. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm I'm Thomas Taylor. I'm an author and illustrator of uh, of children's books. I like to think that I'm best known as the author of the Erion Sea Mysteries. Uh, but I know that I'm also best known as the artist who did the cover art for the very first British edition of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone back in 1996. I painted that. And I guess that's that's the reason why you invited me on. And it's great because I don't often actually talk about it. Or I haven't over the years that often talked about it. So it is good to, to come out of the woodwork and discuss it a bit. That's kind of what surprised me. There was a recent article in The Observer, in the Guardian website that actually Mike has sent to me about you interviewing you. And I was like, I never thought to ask like this guy, I, di- I didn't know who you were. I, di- I didn't know name recognition. I didn't know there. Yeah, surely there, there's some guy out there who who drew this. And I did not, I had no idea, but come to read in the article. It's this wonderful interview about your, about your, your inspiration, about some things we'll be asking you about on this, on this interview. And I said, we have to reach out and see if this guy is interested in talking to us because as as you know, MuggleCast is the first Harry Potter podcast. Uh, we started this in 2005 as podcasts were first starting out. And I like to think that we are a little OG about Harry Potter fans and Harry Potter fandom. But I never dreamed that we'd be speaking with somebody that was really there prior to even Harry Potter in America. Harry Potter in America was not a thing when you were doing that work. So it's really a special very, very special opportunity to interview our most OG guest yet. <laughs> you make me feel ancient. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, but it's true. But I think I think I must have been one of the first people in the world to read the book. And I hadn't really stopped to think about that until quite recently. So uh, it is quite an extraordinary thought. Yeah, we have a very special kinship here. You had the first cover. We had the first podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, another reason that I'm assuming there's been a lot of press around this recently is because there is a wonderful re-release in hardcover of your Harry Potter book cover, along with a, yep, there it is, the 25th anniversary Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone edition published by Bloomsbury in the UK. I actually got a copy as well uh, from Amazon.co.uk, which uh, people don't really realize. The last time I was on there was probably to buy a paperback box set of the original first four Harry Potter books. So because American fans, you know, it's like, are you really a Harry Potter fan if you don't buy the UK covers? And so (laughs) back in 2002 or 2003, I was like, I need the British ones. And then I got the box set. But interesting to see it in in hardcover. I haven't had hardcover of that book at all. So it's wonderful to finally have that. Yeah, there weren't many published. I mean, when it was first published, I think it was 500, maybe even 400 hardbacks of that very first edition. Uh, It's a very rare book. So it is fun to see it come back and be a sort of anniversary edition. You were 23 years old when you designed this book cover and fresh out of art school. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was. And I um, I worked in a children's bookshop. So I got a job straight away in, in the children's book industry, but in a, in a bookstore. And I could see that um, Bloomsbury, the publisher, um, were creating a children's list for the first time. So they didn't they didn't previously publish children's books. So they were creating a list. They were publishing a lot very quickly. And I thought, well, I, I can probably find an opportunity there. I can go in with my portfolio of sketches, leave it there, and then, um, which, which you could do at the time, and hope somebody would find something of interest in there, maybe give me my first professional commission. And of course, um, that is what happened. I had some drawings of wizards and dragons in there by chance. 
uh, I think more dragons than wizards, but still. And then a few days later, I was in the bookshop uh, and the phone rang. I think somebody else answered it, but they passed it to me. And it was Barry Cunningham, who was the editor at Bloomsbury, saying, well, we've got a book by an unknown author, a completely new book. Do you fancy having a go at doing the book cover? So, of course, I was very excited and um, it was my first job. So, I mean, I was over the moon. I had no idea that it was going to be what it became. Uh, so I went into London and I met him and uh, he gave me this great big printout, stack of paper, huge, all only printed on one side. And that was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, and he, he asked me to do the cover. Wow. Wow. And was there ever a point, obviously, at this point, nobody had any idea that Harry Potter was going to be Harry Potter. Was there ever a point where um, when the series was first blowing up, where you had that reflection of, oh, my God, I was part of this from the very early stages. Did it feel overwhelming? Was it exciting? How did you feel about it? I think to start with, I, nothing really happened for a few months after it was published. Um, but then it started to appear in papers. And I could see it in the newspaper. I could see occasionally it would be talked about on television, usually in quite a small way, but people would mention it. And then, of course, people would be coming in the shop asking for it. And my colleagues would pull me over toward this customer and sort of hold up the book and say, and he did the cover art. But of course, <laughs> that, didn't seem, that didn't seem very convincing to, uh, to the average customer. So they, they weren't, it was a bit awkward. And I had to tell people to, to not do that, please, because um, they, they didn't believe it. You could tell they didn't believe it. A few asked me to sign the book, but you could tell they weren't sure. <laughs> so it was a bit awkward. And in fact, my early experiences of Harry Potter as it became really big, were quite negative for me, really. So that's partly why I sort of buried it a little bit. Because it's a big thing for your real, your very first illustration job. Normally, when you start out as an illustrator, you want your first work to be quietly forgotten because it's, it's not your best, you know. Right, <laughs> in, right. in my case, the very <laughs> so the very first thing I did, you know, here I am 26 years later um, talking about it still. So, you know, it, it's sort of there, warts and all, and I have to kind of live with that. But it, it's now it's fine. I mean, I sort of quite enjoy talking about it and thinking about how I was there at the beginning. And that's a great thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. But at the time, it was um, it was a bit tricky because it, it was so big. It became so big that for someone like me trying to sort of grow a career organically, moving from one job to the next, the fact that my very first job kept sort of jumping back and um sort of overshadowing everything else was a bit tricky. But um, as I say, now it's it's great fun to think about. Kind of like that feeling like you peaked in high school, you know, over, over here yeah. in the US. It's like, <laughs> yes. We started this podcast and we're traveling the world while we were still in high school. So it's like, oh, how do we, how do we get out <laughs> from under our own that? Beat that. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> That's but it so does interesting. speak like you had a great deal of hustle there. I mean, if you're talking about dropping your portfolio directly at Bloomsbury, which you could do, um, working in a children's bookstore, you you must have had some inkling that that, well, you, you you must have, that that was your trajectory. And it seems like you really made made a lot of effort to make that happen for yourself, which is really cool. Like, I, I really admire the ambition there and putting yourself out there like that. Yeah, thank you. And it wasn't pure chance because I was, I had thought, I had thought of an opportunity and gone out to try and Try and seize it, but of course I didn't know how how that would pan out. But yeah, I mean you can't sit around waiting for things to happen. You have to go out there and, and uh, find them. But what's quite funny, I mean, you're talking about being the first person to read it. Of course, I didn't know that as I sat on the train going home from London, reading reading this manuscript on my lap. And of course, my my to go home from London was King's Cross Station. Wow! <laughs> and the platform my train left from was Platform Nine. And so I was reading about platform nine and three quarters. I mean, I'd already left, but I was reading and realizing that I I catch the train right next door to this portal, a magical portal that takes wizards to to Hogwarts. So that was quite an interesting thought. So. It was destiny. It's almost like the book <laughs> was written for you. <laughs> Did you ask the conductor yeah. to stop the train so you could go back and then try and get through nine and three quarters? Yeah, I got quarters. on the wrong train. I should <laughs> <laughs> run through the wall just next to where I was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you get to keep that manuscript? I knew you'd ask me about that. So can you guess what I did with that manuscript? Uh-oh, you got rid of it and you regret that now. Recycle? <laughs> Recycle? Yeah. I, well, it was blank on one side. So obviously I was I used most of it as rough f for sketching. Oh my gosh. And then I threw all of it away in the recycling bin in the end. So it was covered in drawings and it also had notes in the margins from the editor 
but it all went to be recycled. So there you go. Wow. wow. <laughs> that would be quite something to have now. That would be a unique thing to have now. But of course, it's, Absolutely. It's and you having sketches on the backsides of these, oh, uh, man. these pages. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. But that just goes to show how I had no idea. You know, I'm, I didn't know. Yeah. 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 How, how did you feel, though, when you were reading it? Did, did you get a sense that this was going to be a success? Were you you know, kind of fully engaged in the story or were there kind of maybe even some doubts when you were going through saying, uh, I don't, I'm not quite sure if, if this is going to be a success. Well, I mean, I, I've always loved fantasy stories. So I grew up reading Tolkien and Pratchett and, and, and so it was, it was in my kind of um, courtyard, you know, this was the kind of thing I liked. So, I mean, I was, I was pretty excited about it and I was pleased to be, I mean, I wouldn't have drawn those sample drawings if I wasn't already interested in that kind of subject matter. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed it very much. But I didn't. I didn't know it was going to go and become, you know, so massive. I had no idea about that. I've always admired that uh, how the author captures that sense of sort of warmth of, of um, friendship. I think she writes about friendship really well. And I remember thinking about that even when I was reading it for the first time. That these friends are great to read about. Definitely. Yeah. I love that. The character dynamics definitely what drew I think a lot of us in as kids too. We wanted they were our friends too. Yeah. Was there a a character that jumped out at you at all? I don't know that there was. I think Dumbledore was always a very impressive character because I've always been drawn to Gandalf. He's that sort of Gandalfian presence in the story, but it was, of course, completely unrelatable to me at the time. But somebody so very impressive, you always always imagine there must be this rich backstory to a character like that. But I just liked, I just liked the car. I liked Hogwarts Castle. I liked Peace the Ghost. You know, there were so many details that were really likable in the story and, and Diego and Ali I mean just the idea of Diego and Ali just seemed really you know really great yeah yeah as far as getting back to the the cover real quickly I know in the in the book um which is the 25th anniversary edition you actually get a write-up at the back which is really cool and you get into very specifics about the materials used for the cover but could you reiterate just how did you create what became the book cover yeah, so I had um, I had worked. I mean, I had done samples before, so I had a kind of technique. And I used uh, watercolor paper and concentrated watercolors. This is before digital media was really good enough. So I mean, I hadn't really trained in it. So I'd come out of art school using traditional media, and so I, that's what I did. I painted it. it's concentrated watercolors. It's Charisma soft crayon for the black line. It's cold press watercolor paper, which was stretched over a board. And it took me about two days to paint the picture. I did a kind of first pass. And then um, this was after sending in sketches. So I used a fax machine, if anybody remembers what one of those is, to fax <laughs> yeah. draw, drawings into Bloomsbury. Gosh, you can hardly believe these things existed. And so I did some drawings for, for Barry Cunningham, who was the editor. And in fact, I should just say, Barry was the one who asked um, for that scene. So he said to me, could you please draw the train, draw the Hogwarts Express? Please draw Harry approaching the train draw platform nine and three quarters. I don't know why he liked that, but I mean, you know, fair enough. And so I was just basically just trying to get my first professional job done, you know, trying to get it done properly and trying to, and I think maybe if I'd been more experienced, I might have said to him, well, I could do that, but I could also draw Hogwarts Castle or I could do, you know, Diego and Ali with all the shops or I could do some magic happening, you know. But at the time, I just did kind of what he wanted because I wanted to get the job done properly. So I've always regretted that I didn't do it and put a bit more magic into it. But um, like I said, first jobs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was going to be my next question, how you chose that scene and you just answered the editor asked you to do that. But I, I really like that scene actually, because it is sort of Harry's first entry into the wizarding world, at least one of them. It's it's like the starting point. So it, to me, it actually kind of feels, yeah, to me, it kind of feels appropriate that he's seeing that train for the first time on the cover. But you wanted to do something, maybe him approaching Hogwarts, are you thinking? or Yeah, something with a bit more drama, maybe. But um, I was very, very inexperienced and not really in a position to sort of start throwing my weight around. And, and um, I mean, it's fine. Right. I'm not really criticizing it and i know there's a lot of uh, attachments to that image and it's got a really strong nostalgic charge for a lot of people so that's great i mean i'm not trying to, to run it down but as a as yeah. a, an artist who's gone on to do other things looking at it now i think oh gosh why didn't i you know why didn't i do something you know wow why didn't i do and of course um, johnny duddle has gone on to to illustrate the um 
the whole series. I think in the US as well. I don't know, actually, in the US. But anyway, he's done such a great job that, you know, it's kind of, he's sort of done the kind of thing I could have aspired, tried to aspire to do. He's done it brilliantly. So uh, it's all worked out okay. But yeah, I, I was asked uh, to paint that scene. And on the back, I, I know you were curious about the wizard on the back. So I was also <laughs> just, just asked... <laughs> kind of offhand as I, as I left the meeting with uh, Barry he said oh and just do a wizard for the back we need a wizard to just to decorate the back I want to talk about that wizard in a moment yes. I want to sorry to cut you I want to talk about that wizard in a moment but but actually just talking about uh trying to put more magic in the cover I did notice there are a lot of stars on the front uh in between <laughs> uh, billows of smoke and and that's very magical to me. Yeah, there are. And I remember being criticized for those stars actually quite early on. Somebody said they really? look like they're pieces of paper flowing around. They're oh. perfectly <laughs> serviceable stars. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the thing is, the image is much bigger than this. So actually, this is this is a detail from a much bigger image that was supposed to be full bleed. It was supposed to go right to the edge. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and the text was actually just written across the smoke. So there was a lot more going on in in the um, in the original image, and they they created this graphic um, border to offset it. I'm not quite sure why. Um, I didn't see it. I didn't see this until it was actually published. So in my mind, I'd seen a a, a, a color mock up of the cover, uh, which he sent me, but I, I never actually saw this design until it appeared. So I didn't recognize it to start with. <laughs> but like I said, we had we had them in the shop because I had done the cover. We would never have probably stop the book otherwise but because i i worked on it the manager bought 10 copies so we had um, a pile of 10 hardbacks on on a, on a tabletop of a book nobody'd heard of and we really struggled to sell them but of course now though those books are i mean they, they go for in good condition they go for something like eighty thousand pounds you know each so in fact for a while there was the better part of a million pounds worth of of book standing <laughs> standing on a and I didn't buy any of them. I didn't buy a single one. Man. <laughs> and uh, no one did, you know. And looking back, I think, crikey, you know, I could, could be living off those if I'd bought a lot. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> truly. Just goes to show. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think if any of us, you know, knew then what we know now, we all would have bought a copy back in the day. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What was it? If I could ask, what made it difficult to sell? You mentioned uh, the bookstore wouldn't have normally stocked them. It was a children's bookstore, was it not? So was it just the lack of? Yeah, well, they might have stopped them. They might have. They might have stopped it. They might have had one copy, maybe. But I think okay. because they were a commercial uh, bookstore, they would probably have wanted paperbacks, which were out later on. The hardback was done mainly for libraries, so they probably wouldn't have had had those hardbacks in. And people coming in initially wouldn't have had any kind of sort of name recognition or. Have understood the book as anything noticeable. It might have just been one copy on a shelf, or uh, but of course, then it, once it became, it began to blow up. Then of course, it was different. But um, in those very first weeks, um, those books just sat there. I'm wondering, you know, in in those first weeks and months before Harry Potter became a household name, um, it was obviously a much smaller universe of people who were in the know about the stories. And I'm wondering if because of that. Did you ever have an opportunity to speak to J.K. Rowling? Uh, and if so, would you be willing to share more? Yeah, so I did meet her, actually. I, I didn't meet her in the initial phases. I didn't meet her while I was working on the... It's quite uncommon, actually, for a, an artist and an author to, to to get together because the publisher always mediates that. But a couple of years later, I forget exactly when she... Well, she was still doing events to promote the publication of the new book. So it would have been pretty, pretty early on. She came to the bookshop. And um, the manager said, well, you, you need to, you know, you need to be the one who looks after her and then you can talk to her and you can, you can get to meet her. So I did get to meet her and that was very nice. And we talked about, yeah, we didn't talk about books at all. We talked about gardening, I think, I think, to recall. I think we were both trying to grow tomatoes. It wasn't going very well. So we had something to talk about. So, yeah. But it was great to meet her because I'd, I'd obviously um, wanted to. And then, you know, being in the... In, kind of on the margins of the, of the book uh, industry anyway, being in the bookshop was a great opportunity to meet lots of uh, authors anyway. Yeah. And you were also like, I accidentally recycled my manuscript. Can I get another <laughs> copy of that, please? <laughs> yeah, well, imagine that. You know, I mean, even if I bought one of those hardbacks, that would be my moment to say, could you just sign my book for me? But I, I, you know. Yeah, then yeah. it would be up to the 200,000 pound level <laughs> or more. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, she was lovely. She really was. And she was great with the children and, and everything. So it was a great example to see. 
again, for me, I buying that that UK edition, it really felt like I was completing my Harry Potter fanhood, my my journey, um, because it was the original. For years, I remember seeing news articles out of the UK, and anytime somebody was talking about Harry Potter, you would pretty much see your book cover, and it was the people with those books. And that's why it's so ingrained in me as being just in the complete the DNA of of Harry Potter. And as we mentioned before, I actually have the full country list. So <laughs> our friend Jacob is a collector, uh, a listener, and he uh, actually compiled and figured out. I, I asked him earlier in the week, I said, how many other countries use that cover? Because the France cover, the U.S. cover all have different illustrators. But uh, the full list he got back to me said that he does believe this is definitive is Macedonia, Wales, Ireland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Ancient Greek, Samala, Latin, Luxembourgish, Catalonia, Valencia, and uh, more recently, the Scots translation edition all use your art. I mean, how does it feel? I guess just again, from the blowing up standpoint, I know it's probably insane, but just that your work is so around the world is so that for many people that was their cover of their first book of of Harry Potter, something which they may have taken with them throughout their lives the way we've done. How does that feel? It's something that's only kind of crept up on me recently because I did spend a period of time playing it down and, and not really promoting myself with this image. But then, of course, on reflection, it, yes, it has been used widely. It's been used very widely around the world. And so it does feel quite extraordinary to think so many people have seen this, this image. And I wonder how I would have felt when I was painting it, if somebody told me that it would have been, you know, seen so widely, I don't think I'd have been quite so relaxed about, about doing it. I think what touches me, though, is that sense of nostalgia. I pick up on, on this a lot, especially lately. People come and, that, and they, they don't really want to hear me say how, as an artist, I would have done it better. They just want to hear about it because they, they were children, perhaps, or they were young, or they were, they, were, they were finding Harry Potter for the first time as adults, or whatever it was, they were finding the stories and falling in love with the characters. And they just, um, they have a lot of a lot of nostalgia and warm feelings about that image. And I, I, I'm really very proud of that. So um, uh, that's probably my strongest uh, response to the question. Excellent. Should we all talk about the back cover now? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, let's get back that. to that. I th- so there was something about a, a mystery around this, I think. Yeah, and I think yes. that we probably theorized about this on the show at some point way back in the day i think we all had different <laughs> we had different editions man? we had it was hard to find this guy because some of the some of us i think even i had the the later version yes but images because at MuggleNet we had a book cover section and i remember seeing like an original book cover and i said that's not who i have on my back cover who What's going on here? Yeah, so if you if your listeners aren't sure of what's happening here, um, when I was asked, I said earlier, I spoiled it slightly um, about that back wizard. I was told to just draw a, a back wizard to to uh, decorate the book. I just imagined because I'd read the book and really liked it, and I'd understood that there was a wizarding world. I just thought, well, there are bound to be loads of wizards out there. I'll just make one up. I didn't understand that anybody needed to see a character from the book. I just thought I understood the instruction as make up a wizard. So I did make up a wizard who isn't actually in the story at all. But of course, when the books became more and more well-known more and more, uh, and more successful, especially when it became you know, full-on Pottermania, people began asking, well, who is this character? Because it's clearly not Dumbledore. And it was always that people wanted to see Dumbledore or expected to see Dumbledore. And it was not Quirrell and it's not Snape. So who is this? Is it Nicholas Flamel? And so there were lots of um, questions being asked, even on, on online things were getting quite heated in some places. And um, there were lots of theories. And um, but the truth of it is, it's just my dad. I just painted my dad as a wizard. <laughs> oh, I love um, that. Because he was always quite, a, he's quite an eccentric character. He used to wear sort of quite flamboyant clothing. And I, I like the idea of the story that you could spot somebody who's connected out in the model world. You could spot somebody who's connected to the wizarding world by how they're dressed or something like that. So I thought, well, maybe people would see my dad and maybe think he was a wizard. So I thought, right, I'm going to make him a wizard. Um, so I painted, I painted him as a wizard and I really didn't think much would, would come of this or anybody would ask anything about it. But of course, in the end, Bloomsbury were being so flooded with questions. Who is this? Who is this person? And then specifically, what is that in his pocket? Because if you've got an image, there's a painting. As I painted a bulge in his pocket because I just thought, you know, wizards are going to have stuff in their pockets, aren't they? Interesting right. stuff. 
So, yeah, so in the end, I was asked to replace uh, replace my dad. He was retired as a wizard and Dumbledore was was put in his place. And so I came back <laughs> to, the, to the project several years later and painted Dumbledore, which is on there. He's, he's on the anniversary edition as well. But even there, I had a little bit of fun because it, uh, people haven't asked about this, actually. But if you look on Dumbledore's cloak, if you get a chance to have a look, there are runic letters down the side of his cloak. And I, these are the runes that you can you can understand from reading The Hobbit. If you read The Hobbit, he, he lets you understand in the beginning of the book how you can work out the runic alphabet from the maps in the book. So I worked out the runic alphabet and I wrote something on his cloak. And no one has oh ever asked, asked me what it says or commented to me. Some people might know, but um, uh, yeah, so there you go. It's a bit of a mystery for you there if you get a chance to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have written I something on the back of Harry messages. Potter. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I want to ask what the message is, but well, or should we keep it a mystery? I don't know. I, don't I feel know. like people should I, figure it out. I'm super curious, but I also to work it out. I don't want to okay. ruin it's the not mystique. Rude. It's not rude. Don't worry. <laughs> oh. I don't like Harry Potter. That would that would be the all an all time great because how many hundreds of millions of copies of this book have that? <laughs> but no one asked me. I thought Bloomsbury would get straight back and say, uh, "What does it say?" But they didn't. Yeah, worry. It's, not, it's nothing shocking. It's nothing shocking. Yeah, yeah. It's probably hello. <laughs> Maybe it's been a while since they picked up a copy of The Hobbit. <laughs> um, what What does it say? I guess we may as well find out. Uh, okay. It well, say? it just it just says his name, Old Stumbledore. That's it. Oh, okay. but I mean, you know. <laughs> that sounds but like something he would do. Put his is. own name on his clothes. Yeah, that's in keeping. But I was just character. trying to make it clear so that if anybody questioned who this wizard was, there was there was actually proof who who it was in, in the drawing. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I honestly, love that. For, for me, it's the long hair tucked into the belt. I don't know anybody <laughs> else that's done that <laughs> other than Dumbledore. That's very Dumbledore esque. Yeah. Well, and if you notice, he's percent. wearing he's wearing the same trousers, um, same trousers and shoes almost yeah. as the other one. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind gonna... of a nice tribute to your dad. Yeah, my oh. dad was really touched by it actually. And in, my dad, my dad lived in Denmark for many years. And when the Danish press found out about this um, possible connection with Harry Potter in Denmark, they actually came to interview him to see whether any kind of anything of Harry Potter had come from from where he lives, you know, from the town where he lived. And um, and he had to tell them, no, I don't think so. You know, my son's just the illustrator <laughs> of the first book. So it's not the author. <laughs> but people were quite keen for any story at some point. There was a moment when it was really, you know, people were really looking for stories. Yeah. I don't think we said, what is it in your dad's pocket on the back cover? It's just a hedgehog. Because I thought that was quite that funny. was my first that was my first guess. Yeah, I oh, would have guessed. Course, yeah, yeah. 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 I thought, well, you know, if you're a wizard, you're going to have all these sort of animal familiars and potion ingredients and things. But I just thought a hedgehog was funny because how'd you get a hedgehog out of your pocket? You could have put your hand in your pocket, and then there's all these spines <laughs> in there, so it just made me laugh. <laughs> well, it reminds me a lot of Newt Scamander, the hero of the uh, new oh, yeah. Wizarding World film franchise, because he is a niffler and many other. Uh, animals in his pockets all the time, and and it really throws it back to Hagrid yeah, okay. Uh, uh, okay, as well. Yeah, yeah. he's okay, got yeah. like an owl in, the, in his pocket or something. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's a nice little connection. It's so wonderful to be inspired, and I'm glad that your father uh, seemed to really appreciate that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he um, he, he passed away during the pandemic, um, but he oh, always sorry. always always appreciated that um, that anecdote that I gave him. Yeah. <laughs> His brief, his brief career. Well, not 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 that brief because he was on the back of the cover for three or four years, I think, before um before he was found out. Right. And the original Harry Potter cover, like you know, even if they eventually replaced him with Dumbledore, like that's still incredible yeah. to be on the first cover. It's still iconic. Assuming you you kind of followed Harry Potter even after the first book, what did you think of the first Harry Potter movie when it came out? And did you feel like it was a yeah. good adaptation of the first book? Well, I, I loved it. I, I got to see one of the, the preview showings in London. So one, of, I think it was the first time it was shown in London. I was invited along. Um, and I just thought it was brilliant. I mean, I, I still like it. I still think it's a great adaptation. It really is, yeah. But I mean, I haven't, I haven't even seen all the films. So, I mean, my, my experience of Harry Potter is kind of locked into that early phase. So I haven't even read all the books. So, you know, oh, I mean, really? I really am kind of very, very much. Yeah, and in fact, I, I remember I read the first three and I really enjoyed them. And then I remember... Somebody gave me a copy of um, the fourth one, Goblet of Fire. It was a bookseller who gave it to me early before it was released, so they shouldn't have done that. And I think they were they were trying to impress me. And I remember seeing it, and I never, <laughs> I never see, I never, you know, didn't expect to be given this book. And um, 
it was, I, well, as soon as I saw how big it was, I thought, I don't, I don't think I'm going to read that in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and it's, it's true, I didn't read it, but um, I have to, have to say that all this sort of talk about Harry Potter recently and the fact that I'm, I'm being interviewed a few times has made me curious about it, so I have started reading it. So I have a few chapters in and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm sort of recapturing a little bit of that uh, sense of how much I enjoyed it when I, in those, those early days. Book four is Laura's favourite book, yeah. I think. Isn't that right? Okay. It's my favourite. And honestly, I have to say, you know, as people who read the books when we were much younger, it is a really special experience to revisit them as adults because you get so much more out of them as an adult. There's just a different lens that you have. So I think you're really going to enjoy the experience. Yeah, I really am so far. I mean, I'm a great believer in, I mean, I don't really believe in a distinction between children's books and adult, adults' books anyway. I just think a good story is a great story and we all love great stories. And I'm really enjoying kind of being back there again. That's amazing. At what point did you find out that you were not going to be illustrating the sequel, the first sequel uh, to Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was a bit disappointed about that initially, but then I, I kind of, you know, I should have shrugged it off. I think it was when I, when I, when I saw that, you know, I actually saw a picture of the book cover. It was a pretty clear hint that I wasn't oh, going to no. be asked. <laughs> I don't remember doing that. Hey, um, yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think really, I mean, it was obvious. There was came a certain point where if I was going to be asked, I'd have been asked by now because they're going to need it yeah, pretty yeah. soon. So, but it is fine because the, the, the guy they they uh, replaced me with had already done some books with Wizards in and was a sort of more established artist. And so I understood that worked. That's how it goes. But uh you still set the tone, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. especially in the early books, right? I mean, you kind of like to find what these covers are going to look like. Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Um, somebody told me that um, Gryffindor colors are defined by the scarf I painted, but I haven't been able, I haven't gone back through to check whether the author says what colors Gryffindor are. So I don't know. But yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't make too many claims about it, but I just think that having yeah. had that opportunity to sort of set an image for Harry Potter really early on, you know, a year before it was even published, um, is quite something. So I am, I am very proud of, uh, I'm very proud of that. I wanted to ask about that actually. So yeah, Harry does have a scarf on in this cover that you illustrated, and there it's like it's red and gold. But you're saying you didn't know Gryffindor was going to be red and gold because that is the house yeah, colors. I, yeah, I can't remember now if it says it in the text that it's red and gold because I was basing my whole illustration as a. I think it's in chapter two. There's a little description of Harry. And basically, I just worked off that description. So uh, I'd be interested if anybody could find out whether that's true or not. But people have told me that, that there was no red yeah. gold until, I, you know, could be. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, because some people, some people, and we actually brought this up on the show, I think, a while ago. Some people were like, well, wait a second. How does Harry already have his Gryffindor scarf if he's seeing the Hogwarts Express for the first time? So he hasn't been to Hogwarts yet. You know, people are like. Loophole. <laughs> oh. well, that, I, I yeah. think the movie fixes that by kind of establishing that when you go to buy your robes, you can buy it's the crest that's the multiple yeah. color one and hmm. kind of like buy that. It's memorabilia. But also, there's not, you know, anything Hogwarts specific about having a red and gold scarf, let's be honest. Right. <laughs> like, it's totally possible. It could be a coincidence. That would be a heck I, of a coincidence. I don't, I don't remember. I mean, I certainly didn't paint it to be to be Gryffindor. Uh, yeah. I just painted red and gold stripes because it was a sort of vibrant color. You know, I wanted to sort of something in that corner to pop out. Yeah, it's perfect. That's a very fascinating factoid. I think what we're really finding out here is that Thomas is, in fact, Godric Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> the founder of Gryffindor. <laughs> yeah. There is, oh, in Diagon Alley, there is a, some reading, this is, Page 22 of the U.S. edition, it says they had reached a snowy white building that towered over the other little shops, standing beside its burnished bronze doors, wearing a uniform of scarlet and gold, was uh, a goblin at Gringotts. Perhaps it's the Gringotts uh, colors. (laughs) It could be. I I don't remember. Maybe. (laughs) No, no. Very interesting stuff, though. And because we're talking about houses here... Or Harry Potter podcast, we ask every guest this. Um, what is your Hogwarts house? <laughs> oh, well, look, I mean, I would aim for Ravenclaw. Of course I would, but I'd probably get Hufflepuff. I think I'd fit there best. So uh, <laughs> hey, we, I'd be happy with that. We love Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. 
<laughs> but there are two Ravenclaws on this panel, Micah and Okay, Laura are both okay. Ravenclaws. So I remember reading it thinking, why would anyone not want to be Ravenclaw? That was my impression after reading the book. Because I mean, I, I think, why would you not want that? But I, mean, I don't think I'm quite cut the mustard. <laughs> no, I, I think so. I mean, the whole point of the sorting hat is, you know, there's an element of choice involved. So I, I say, I would say you're a Ravenclaw. You know what's interesting is uh, more of the book's villains than not are Ravenclaw. Yep. Especially in the early ones. Quirrell <laughs> was a Ravenclaw, and so was Professor Lockhart. Okay. Um, okay. The second one. So yeah. Ravenclaw's mm. not always just uh, the best and the brightest. They can turn dark. <laughs> hey. so I, well, I would, still, I would still argue they're bright. I don't know yeah. if they're the best. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great invention, the sorting hat. It's a great sort of um, narrative device for the story, for how it generates Definitely. story out of out of that element in the story. It's great. So I wanted to ask, I just finished The Malamander, the first ah. book of the Erion Sea uh, series. I really loved it. I thought this was wonderful. It, very engaging, told in first-person perspective, so it just grips you from start to finish. Um, and you're actually working on, so this is... Uh, the fourth book is coming out this fall. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. I think in the US it's coming out actually in the spring, but in the UK it'll come out in this autumn, this this fall. And it's um, yeah. I mean, I can't quite understand where the time's gone because I mean, I'm already working on the fifth book, and that's pretty much finished. So you know, it's it's been quite an exciting process. It's a five book series. It's a story. It's, it's not. I mean, obviously, sometimes Harry Potter fans ask me, you know, how is this connected to Harry Potter? And I have to say, well, of course, it's not. It's not connected to Harry Potter, <laughs> but you know, it's still in that sort of middle grade magical mystery kind of vibe that I really love. So it's a similar sort of um, setup, I guess, for the a mysterious seaside town. Yeah. Having read the first book, I appreciate all first books of series that focus uh, or have something to do with a small glowing red orb with magical properties. <laughs> uh, pretty oh, interesting, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, that- are, you, are you alluding to the Philosopher's Stone? Uh, uh, I, yeah, perhaps, you know, and I haven't uh, really thought about that. No, gosh, kind of that's a bit grant some life. I don't, it seems intentional. I just, <laughs> but I won't get into spoilers about Malamander. Yeah. No, but people often find things and say, is that because of Harry Potter? And I have to say, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but based on your life, so you live by the sea, and how much I of did, your life yeah. was inspired? Yeah, how much of your, like, your life experiences were inspired the characters and settings of the series in general, but also Malamander. Yeah, well, it's just because I live, I've come to move by, I, I moved by the sea about 10 years ago, and I found out that um, by the sea in the winter, it's very different. The town changes a lot. It's quite creepy, it's quite strange. And when all the sort of fun and bright things of summer are locked, are locked up and are covered in a bit of frost, and the wind is really strong and, and it's, it's quite spooky, uh, that can be quite creepy, you know, really quite um, disturbing. And so, the town is uh, of Erie on Sea is is, um, is based heavily on the town where I live or near where I live and some of the characters I've met. And uh, this town is beset by legends and there are these sort of magical creatures that people encounter. And, and I'm where I live, I live one of the few places in the UK where at low tide, if you're very lucky, you can actually find dinosaur remains on the beach, just sort of rolling dinosaur bones. Wow. Um, Whoa. 135 million year old fossil bones. And even dinosaur footprints. So I've I've been inspired sort of directly to to create a you know you can understand why why I've written about a sea monster when you think that you can actually see these enormous uh, theropod footprints down on the beach and they're wet they're, they're in the stone they're in the rock but it's wet when you see them and it almost looks like the the creatures just made that mark. Wow. Um, so when you're down there in the mist, you sort of want to turn around and just check it's not still there. So that's that was the inspiration for these uh, these mystery stories. That's incredible. And how did you come up with like Herbie and Violet, for instance, as characters? What was your inspiration? Yeah, well, Herbie's basically me. Um, So Herbie would be Hufflepuff, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So he's basically me. And and I just sort of regressed back to childhood to write that character. And then I needed, because I'm a bit of a, a bit of a, I'm a bit of a wuss, really, a bit bound by the rules, perhaps. Uh, but then Violet's the kind of foil to that. So Violet is the opposite. So they work together, they complement each other, and together they are. They are this great team. That's the intention. And they're named after traditional British candy. This isn't always apparent, I think, to people in the US, but uh, they're named after sherbet lemons and um, palmer violets, which are sort of... So instantly people in the UK get where the names come from, but I have to Herbert. often explain oh. that. Herbert lemon is sherbet lemon, and palmer violets have become, it's become violet palmer. So that's, Violet uh, palmer. 
Got it. Yeah, we are all Americans here. That yeah, that went over our heads. <laughs> yeah, I actually came to the US with to sort of tour these books a little bit, and um, I got asked that everywhere. So I actually brought these sweets with me, and I was sort of fighting, you know, trying to sort of stop children from just grabbing them because I only had this very small supply, and they were. <laughs> I was trying to explain, Let me explain about the to you why I brought these first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a wonderful book-themed candy. It's wonderful yeah. that they made this candy based on the characters of this oh, beloved yeah. uh, book series. <laughs> oh my goodness! I think actually Sherbert Lemon is one of the passwords to Dumbledore's office in the series. At some point, it could be. Yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be because uh, it's that kind of it's that kind of thing. It's that sort of thing that's a very very traditional um, Victorian um, candy. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, though, going from illustrator to author, what that process has been like and, you know, maybe what the most challenging aspect in that shift has been for you. Yeah, I think the hardest thing was getting people to take me seriously as a writer. So I did after Harry Potter, I actually had a career about 10 years of working in picture books, mostly as an, as an illustrator. And that was great. And I enjoyed doing that. But I kind of ran out of steam. I ran out of picture book shaped ideas and was itching more and more to, to write more substantial texts because I was I started to write as well as illustrate while I was working on picture books. And so making that jump to actually start working on a piece of fiction that was going to be longer, uh, yeah, it was a psychological barrier to um, jump over. And um, and then having to admit to my agent, you know, phone her up and say, um, you know, you took me on as, a, as an illustrator all those years ago well I, I I've written a book would you like to read it and then she was very <laughs> um very very formidable lady and I wasn't going to take any nonsense and she made it very clear that I would have to win her round that I wasn't going to be wasn't going to get a literary agent by sneaking in through the illustrator's door and then sitting down with <laughs> with the author so I had to actually prove myself so it was quite nerve-wracking when she read uh the book I wrote uh, which is completely unpublishable it hasn't been published um but she was incredibly encouraging and so that gave me the impulse to sort of keep going uh had she said this is awful go back to painting you know maybe things were quite different because I did respect her, her um her opinion but she she was incredibly encouraging so illustrating or being an author do you prefer one or the other I, these days I think of myself as an author primarily and I do still draw a bit so the the UK editions of my books have little chapter heading drawings that I do and I draw the maps and things like that uh, in the US they're illustrated by Tom Booth uh, absolutely brilliantly illustrated by him um, really excellently but he's illustrated them far more than I would like to have done these days I don't like to to do big illustration jobs I think I find it just a bit a bit exhausting. I started to get repetitive strain problems in my hands, you know, especially trying to use sort of digital means. It gets really quite exhausting. And, you know, I find, I mean, I just really love writing. You know, I really kind of, it, it, you can sort of conjure anything. And it, if you think about how long it takes to write the word elephant and then think about how long it takes to draw the elephant, <laughs> you can see how writing can be so much more immediate yeah. and um, you can get a lot more done, you know. Definitely see the appeal there for sure. <laughs> Pivoting to considering your time as an author, um, what feedback have you most enjoyed getting from readers who read Eerie on the Sea? Well, the best thing is when um, children dress up as my characters on World Book Day, which is just an amazing thing. I mean, if, mm. if you get up, if you're as an author, you get up for anything in the morning. That's what you get up for because to get those pictures sent to me, you know, here's here's my little boy dressed as Herbert Lemon, and here's my daughter dressed as Violet Palmer going to school. That was just amazing. Um, and then children write to me, they write to me, and I write back as if I'm in the Grand Nautilus Hotel, which is the hotel in Erie on Sea. I write back, I've got headed notepaper, and I write back on. Oh, and I've been told that that so always creates quite quite a bit of an excitement when, when it arrives, and it looks like I'm actually in one of the rooms there, and their letters reach me there, and I'm just writing back. That's um, amazing. So things like That's that, awesome. interaction with with readers is really is really exciting. Wow, that is so cool. As a kid, I would have flipped. As an adult, I would flip, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of wrapping up, what other work um, outside of Irianzi and outside, of course, the uh, early Harry Potter journey have you done that you're most proud of or would like to shout out? I don't know, really. I, I, a few years ago, I managed to realize an ambition to do a comic book. So I've always wanted to do a comic book for many years. And I had a friend who is an author called Marcus Sedgwick was very, very successful. And um, he and I have always talked about doing a comic book. Well, a few years ago, we we did. And um, first, second published it in the US. It was primarily a US publication. It's called Scarlet Hearts Monster. 
And uh, yeah, he wrote the text and I did the drawings. And so that was quite exciting. And it's, you know, it's out there and um, that's, a, you know, a bucket list item ticked off and I really enjoyed working on it, but it kind of broke my hands working on it because just, you know, the actual physical work of creating panel after panel after panel for hundreds of pages was pretty exhausting. Um, so I realized I'm probably not going to do many more of those, but yeah, but that's out in the US if anybody wanted to look it up and it's got monsters in it. So, you know, there was always that. I just made a yeah. note. I love comic books. So <laughs> I'm definitely going to head out and get that. <laughs> Thomas, this has been really great. Where can our listeners find you online? My website's thomastaylor-author.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter quite a lot and Instagram. On Instagram, I'm and Tomskagram, it's a bit. I don't know. I should change that, really. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite findable. You, you can you can you can search me up. There are hundreds of millions of Thomas Taylors out there. Many of them have written books, but ultimately, you will find me if you search. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And so we'll check out the 25th anniversary edition of Philosopher's Stone over in the UK, and we're also going to check out the Eerie on Sea series, and we'll we'll keep an eye out for the fourth book this September. I'm very excited to keep going on on the Erion Sea. I love the characters. I'm very, I hope you enjoy the very next engaged. One. Okay. And stay tuned for a letter from Eric, and he's expecting <laughs> uh, that letterhead <laughs> back. Yeah. Hi. Um. Yeah. I love the book. Thanks. Waiting for the writing back. Oh like, yes. uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll look out for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Wow, he was delightful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was such a great interview. That was so much fun. Everyone check out his series, Eerie on Sea, E-E-R-I-E on Sea, and we'll include links in the show notes. I'm still shook by this uh, Gryffindor scarf revelation. Yeah, the, the fact that that, that was intentional. Didn't... We got a couple of exclusives between the Gryffindor scarf and then the... Um... Hobbit writing on yeah. Dumbledore's that, cloak. That Hobbit thing is real. Yeah, we need to write articles about this on on MuggleCast.com. What do those? <laughs> what's that code mean? On Decoding the back cover, yeah. the back cover of. As long as we don't make it one of those annoying clickbaity articles, that's like. What does it mean? And then the text goes on for like eight miles where we're like, Albus Dumbledore is the renowned headmaster of Hogwarts before we even talk Laura, about that's it. That's how we make the money. <laughs> we put like 30 ads until you get to the before you get to the yeah, answer. Chloe knows. She said she's pro clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> we also need an article on what the bulge is on the original back cover in Thomas Taylor's dad's pocket. It's a hobbit. <laughs> it's a hobbit. It's the Niffler. It's Teddy. <laughs> No, you said porcupine, right? Yeah, it's oh, a yeah, porcupine. Yeah. A hedgehog. <laughs> hedgehog. Right. Yeah, yeah. Sonic. Anyway, well, if you have any feedback about today's great interview with Thomas Taylor, you can write or send a voice message to mugglecast at gmail.com. If you're going to send us a voice message, just record that message using the voice memo app on your phone. And you can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com if you don't want to do the old school email. Or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. By the way, uh, coming up on our Patreon today, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Many of our patrons are tuned in live this morning and they got to watch our interview with Thomas Taylor. So thanks to everybody who's joining us this morning. We are going to have a bonus MuggleCast installment to celebrate Pride Month. Gay Harry Potter pickup lines. <laughs> Enough said. Explicit content warning <laughs> that's that's all i'm saying before we go happy into pride everybody micah messaged us last night saying i'm having way too much fun writing these pickup lines so oh, no i haven't looked since mike has been in oh no brace yourselves i i might yeah i'm gonna scream a couple times i'm gonna scream a couple times <laughs> that'll make it even better we do a monthly bonus MuggleCast installment on our Patreon to thank everybody for their support. We did a pickup line bonus MuggleCast uh, back in February 2021 around Valentine's Day, but now this one is Pride Month themed. So that's going to be a lot of fun. All right, it's time for some quizage. Last week's question, bit of a teaser. Who illustrated the first book cover for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, published in 1997 by Bloomsbury in UK? The correct answer, of course, we just met him, Mr. Thomas Taylor. Congratulations to the few people who did enter and get it, including 
Jessica, your friendly neighborhood Slytherin. What does the fox say? Yo, I don't want to fight Kerberos. Liz Ravenclaw, Colin Creevy's brother, the rogue Niffler, and a small glass of fire whiskey with a gilly water chaser plus a slice of lemon. Sounds good. Oh. I'm disappointed. I entered as Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I thought I, got- I was just going to mention that. <laughs> Thomas Taylor, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. I'll tell you, Micah, you, maybe this, maybe you're doing it wrong this whole time. I had to switch it. I, I, yeah, Where I you noticed put the I did name. that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. If the name I and noticed the answer. After. Okay. Okay. Just, just so you know, I want to make sure you can succeed at submitting to Quizich in the future. Next week's question. Dumbledore's nose appeared as though it had been broken how many times, according to the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone? Kind of on a theme there. Looking back 25 years, we didn't mention, by the way, that the actual 25th anniversary, supposedly, of Harry Potter in print being published in the UK is the 26th of June this year which is a couple of days from when this episode will air. Yeah, where did you get that info from? Because I think over the years there has been a bit of a it's been a bit of a mystery the exact publication date, right? It has been, and it wasn't until Thomas Taylor's publicist mentioned it as being the date to shoot for with our episode. And I'm assuming she got that from Bloomsbury. Okay, so that's another exclusive that we need a 8,000-word article for. Yes. 40 yes. banner ads. When exactly was the book host? Well, it is uncertain because no good records were kept before the internet. Yes. But stay tuned. We have a theory, 30 banner ads. <laughs> so the first Harry Potter book, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so happy 25th anniversary to the book that changed all of our lives. This was a great way to celebrate uh, that. Yeah, he was a lot of fun. Thomas was. So if you're looking to enter Quizich, submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or go to the website and click Quizich in the menu bar. Make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if you can in that podcast app. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And once again, don't forget to pledge on Patreon if you love what uh, we do here and want to support the show and see it thrive. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. If you can't pledge, that's okay. We understand. Just make sure you're following the show for free so you get every episode. If you're interested in any of our sponsors, feel free to use those promo codes and links. It all helps. Tell a friend about the show. It all helps grow the show and support the show. So thank you. Laura, what's coming up on next week's episode of MuggleCast? So on next week's episode, we're going to be doing uh, a full on in defense of episode in which we talk about a number of characters from the series that we'll be playing a little bit of devil's advocate on. Um, I think the first one we're going to kick it off with is James Potter. Did he mature? Are we to believe that had he lived longer, he would have been a more exemplary adult than he was a teenager? You'll have to listen next week to find out. Yeah, this is sort of like a follow up to our In Defense of each of the Hogwarts Houses series, where we're going to support some of the characters who maybe get a bad rap and sometimes not deservedly so. So we'll talk about that next week and back to some old school Harry Potter talk, just like we did today. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, Bye. everyone.